Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we'll be talking about Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. But before we get to that, you need to subscribe to Collider Weekly if you want to keep up with this podcast. So we were on the Collider Factory. That's where you would find this podcast. But you'd find it alongside a lot of other podcasts that were kind of a hodgepodge. Uh, and so we talked with the, the powers that be, and we all agreed that this podcast should be alongside other podcasts that are from people who write for Collider.com. So that new feed is Collider Weekly. And so, for instance, you'll also find like a podcast by Dave Trumbor where he's talking about animation. His, Dave is our animation editor. So things like that. But that's where Collider Weekly is where you will find the Collider.com podcast going forward. If you start looking for it on Collider Factory, you will not find it and you will be sad. And we will be sad because we don't want to lose you as a listener. Yeah, we're not disappearing. But if you want to find us, you need to subscribe to Collider Weekly because exactly. that's where we'll be. The good news is, is because Collider Weekly is a new uh, subscription feed, we need your input. We need your reviews to sort of bring attention to it. Uh, assume it presumably you listen to the show because you like the show. Um, and if you're a new listener, hopefully you'll like the show. But I don't, we, know. I don't know. Have you ever heard of hate listening, hate watching? I really haven't. Not I've heard of hate <laughs> watching, but not hate listening. I don't know. Like I just, uh, I would like to meet the person that hates us but still listens to us yabber on for an hour. I'll week. put you in touch with my mother. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My mother doesn't listen to podcasts. Um, so what we used to do, we used to have this thing called reader hot takes, where basically. Uh, we would ask people to go to our iTunes page, our the, our, our subscription page, and leave us a review, a, a, hopefully a positive review. I'm not going to twist your arm, but hopefully a positive review. But in your positive review where you tell us what you like or don't like, but hopefully like about the show, also give us your most hot take, like your hottest take about something that's movie related. So like a film that you think is really underrated or an actor that you think is overrated or a director that you think is, is no good, but everyone loves or just something that's just sort of like a, a really fiery, spicy take. And we will, we will engage with it. We will, we will engage with those hot takes uh, that are on our review page. So please, if you, if you like the show, please support us on iTunes, but also leave us your hottest movie related take. Yeah, we'll read it on air, and we'll agree with you, or roast you, or some combination of the two. Yeah, it'll be great. So please, uh, please be sure to do that. Uh, okay, so moving into Hobbs and Shaw. So this was an interesting one because excuse me, excuse me, it's called Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I'm not saying all of that. <laughs> I'm not saying all. I said that once. <laughs> I'm not saying it again and again. It'll just be Very Hobbs efficient. and Shaw. Um. This was interesting because like, uh, I didn't go to the screening for this. I paid for this one, um, which isn't a big deal. I mean, it was like an $8 you know, matinee screening. But I went to go see it Mr. on... Mr. Moneybags. Mr. Moneybags with his $8 movies at, at, at AMC. Um, yeah, so I went, to, I went to go see this with my wife, who's never seen a Fast and Furious movie. And I was like, you don't really need to know. <laughs> no. I was like, I was like, all you really need to know is Jason Statham was a bad guy, but then he wasn't the end. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's about it. Um, and so we went to go see it. And, um, you know, this going into Hobbs and Shaw, like looking at the trailers, are like, I am rarely excited for Fast and Furious movies, but this looks so bonkers and so you know, fun and self-aware and just really willing to just swing for the fences. And it doesn't seem to have that family nonsense that I think is just hollow and doesn't really mean anything in the other Fast and Furious movies. This will be, I, I am, I am interested in Hobbs and Shaw and I went to see it and I was like, this is kind of, this is fine. And I just, yeah. I, I think if Hobbs and Shaw doesn't do it for me, I, I think I can confidently say after seeing nine Fast and Furious movies, <laughs> I'm never going to be a Fast and Furious guy. I'll like some of them more than others, but I'm never going to be like, what about the family? And or like getting, you know, there, there, there was this point where it just became, people went nuts for Fast and Furious, like, like serious film fans, like on film Twitter. It was like, Oh my God, a new Fast and Furious. I'm so excited. Yeah. And I'm just like Fast and Furious six, I think. Was uh, yeah. It was yeah, Fast and Furious six. Like, uh, and look, I get it. Like these movies do have like a dumb fun appeal to them, but 
I look at them and I just, they feel like dopier cousins to better films. And I was just like, if you like action movies, I can point you to better action movies. If you like comedy, I can point you to better comedy. If you like character, I like point you to better things. Like, I don't think the Fast and Furious franchise does anything particularly well, but it does, I guess because it winks at the audience enough, it's kind of like, it's kind of, I guess, the self-aware superhero franchise. But even that... Guess what? Deadpool exists. So I I don't know. Like Fast and Furious is fine. Hobbs and Shaw is fine, and I'll I'll get in more into the reasons about why I kind of found it a little lackluster. Uh, what what did you think about it? Um, I also thought it was pretty fine. Although I didn't feel like it it didn't feel like a Fast and Furious to me very much for Fast and Furious movie to me that much. Um, which I felt was a positive. I felt like for the first time, you remember, so Fast Five was the first Fast and Furious movie to really like explode at the global box office and it become this kind of worldwide phenomenon. And that movie, it kind of, um, like after that movie came out and was such a success, uh, there were reports and interviews with the writer of the franchise, Chris Morgan, saying that they were going to move it into more of like a heist direction as opposed to like car racing movies. And they never really did that. Like they still remained kind of car movies or family movies or, you know, big cartoonish movies. Um, this movie feels like it finally moved it into that space of like a spy heist espionage esque. It's like a sci fi spy film. Yeah, a little bit. And like, so this movie feels like the finally the payoff from those reports that they were going to do that. Um, and in that aspect, like it, it, it's pretty fun. Like there's a mystery aspect to it. That's kind of engaging. Um, I think Idris, Idris Elba is better than he should be as the villain. Like it, it's not a villain. Like it, I would say, uh, his villain is better than a lot of like the phase one and phase two Marvel villains, just for the fact that he, he kind of has, he has a screen presence, I guess um, that is largely due to Idris Elba. Um, Idris Elba is one of those actors who improves on the roles that he gets. There are some actors who just, they rise to whatever, like they're only as good as the script. So, you know, if the script is bad, the actor's going to be bad. Idris Elba is sort of like, there, there's sort of this rare niche of actors who are just like, you can give them just about anything and they're going to give you an impressive performance, which is pretty amazing. Even if, even if the surrounding film isn't good, they're going to be memorable in the film. Yeah. So there's something about him that I think is interesting and compelling. So it makes those scenes interesting and fun. Uh, You know, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham, their banter was a highlight of Fate of the Furious. Maybe the only highlight. I hated that movie. Um, And it's on full display here, for better or worse. I think it it pitches like a lot too heavy quite a few times um, into the kind of interplay there. I don't think it's quite as cute as the movie thinks it is, but it's fun enough. And like it keeps the thing moving and it's compelling. And there are a lot of really cool cameos that are fun and surprising and refreshing. We're not going to spoil this here. And I think Vanessa Kirby does a really great job with what could have been a thankless role um, as Deckard Shaw's sister, but she really feels like a, a third wheel in a good way to the Hobbs and Shaw um, like teaming up thing. It feels like she has enough to do. Um, and uh, I think that also speaks to Vanessa Kirby as an actress uh, and kind of her ability. And yet, watching this movie, I felt the same way. Like, I just continued, like, the thought that couldn't get out of my head was, I just want to watch Mission Impossible Fallout again. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. So much of this felt inspired directly from Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, from, like, the aesthetic and the design of the action set pieces and some of the fight scenes and stuff like that. And I was like, Fallout is just far and away a better movie. And I felt about that, like, about other Fast and Furious movies. Like, why would I... Like, to me, like, Fast and Furious is like a cheese, like a fast food cheeseburger. And those are fine for what they are. Sometimes that's what you want. But let's not confuse that with filet mignon. <laughs> and, yeah. and basically the last, you know, I know we have differing opinions on Ghost, Bro- Ghost Protocol, but from a pure action level in terms of the way they're designed and the way they're paced and the way they use tension, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout, like, these are movies that, like, are amazing action where there a lot yeah. of work has been put into them to really, you know, and, and to the, to the, to the extent where I feel a little guilty. Like, I feel like we're all kind of just waiting for Tom Cruise to die on screen. <laughs> and I feel kind of shitty about that. It's tempered by the Scientology thing. Um, 
But I will say, like, the at least the craftsmanship is undeniable on those films. Like, they're taking something really imaginative and really going for it. And then I see Hobbs and Shaw, and it's like, oh, Dwayne Johnson is fake holding down a helicopter. Like, okay, he's he's brawny. I didn't get that from yeah. everything else. He's so strong, he's going to hold down a helicopter with his bare hands. Wow, what a crazy <laughs> time. And I'm just like that if if that's if and 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 that's not me like t- taking a shot at the film's weakest moment. That film that moment was in the trailers. That was like a a highlight moment to get yeah. people out. They were proud of that shit. And David Leach is a director who prides himself on his action. Like that he comes from stunt work. He co-directed John Wick. You know, like he is like he is that uh, the, there's the oneer in Atomic Blonde that's absolutely amazing, and I felt his action here was a little unimpressive. It felt like quantity over quality. There's no real set piece in Hobbs and Shaw that feels really imaginative or daring or different. It's just like, and here's your car chase, and here's your shootout, and here's your banter, and here's your other set piece. It is just, it's just a sort of a clump of banter, action, blanter, action, plot beat. And it just, it goes through things in such a cold manner that there's no life to it. There's no daring. There's no artistry. And it just, it feels like product in a way that, yeah, a lot of blockbusters are product, but the better ones know how to hide it. Yeah, I was also pretty unimpressed with the action. And David Leach, he and Chad Stahelski, they were second unit directors. They directed the uh, action in Captain America Civil War. Like, they are responsible for a lot of those fight scenes in that movie, including the airport battle. And I felt like a lot of the fight scenes in this movie were just a little too shaky cam. Like, I didn't necessarily know what was going on. Like, oddly enough, like, I felt the action in this movie... Like my mind would wander. I was kind of waiting for the next like dialogue scene because I kind of enjoyed you know hanging out with these characters a little bit, um, as opposed to the Fast and Furious movies where I kind of zone out during the dialogue scenes because it's so overwrought and uh, overly sentimental and dumb. Um, but when they drive a car from one skyscraper into another skyscraper through the windows in the sky, I'm like, ha ha, that's kind of funny. Well, because at least there's something imaginative there. And like, again, thank you to our new listeners who just tune in to be like, oh, I too like Hobbs and Shaw. I wonder what these guys will have to say. (laughs) This is the show. (laughs) We will not all, if you were looking like, oh, I just want to listen to people who will echo my opinions back at me. You you may not get that here. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I just yet I didn't hate the movie. Like I, didn't I found hate it. Like, I didn't, but fun. I felt it was very it was middling. It was middling in a way that you would expect it not to be, given the whole Fast and Furious presents, where you expect like these films have really leaned into bombastic action, and you know you have Dwayne Johnson who's a big guy and you have Jason Statham who's like a you know this sort of intense fighter like these sort of two action icons and none of them are and neither of them are really getting to do any spectacular action scenes that really stick with you and it it sort of reminds you that in a weird way there there's something sterile about the about their action and there was that article that was in the Wall Street Journal last week about how they're very concerned about how they look and needing to look victorious and not vulnerable in mm-hmm. the way their action is depicted. And I think that really kind of crystallizes part of the problem with Hobbs and Shaw, which is that there's no vulnerability to these characters, really. There's nothing which in turn lessens the stakes. Um, and so everything is just about how does like these guys, they want to look good, but there's very little risk and there's very hum- little humanity. So it's hard to connect with them. And so it just becomes sort of this onslaught of machismo to where things don't even really follow. Like at the climax of the film, uh, Dwayne Johnson and his family, like they do like a, like a Samoan war dance and he's like in a sarong and like has his shirt off. And then it's time for a car chase. So he's like, Toss me a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I need to put a shirt on for this. Also, the lighting in that sequence goes from pitch black night to, oh, there's a little bit of daylight in the next shot. And then the next shot, like, oh, it's daytime now. 
and nine minutes have passed. And I know this because there's a timer strapped to one of the characters and it tells you nine minutes have passed. And then they fall down a hole and it starts raining. (laughs) It starts like a torrential downpour, as my wife pointed out. This all happens within the span of, again, in the film's timeline, less than half an hour. Yeah. About 26 minutes. Whoever is going to have a blast with this movie because so much of that is is just whatever. And again, like the Fast and Furious movies are like, we don't take things too seriously. You know, we have fun. But there's just a level of it's a kind of sloppiness that border like that makes it look careless. Like it's one thing to be like, we're having dumb fun. And like, yeah, if Dwayne Johnson is going to hold on to a helicopter with his bare hands, fine. But you know, also keep track of what point time of day it is. Like, don't, don't make it look like I didn't care enough about the reality of the scene to break that reality, or I'm just going to do whatever to, for maximum effect in the moment, you know, time frames be damned. Cause then it just looks like you're a sloppy storyteller. I will say, I like the way David Leach movies look. Um, this movie was far more visually dynamic than any of the fast and furious movies recently. Um, just in terms of, I just like his lighting scheme and, and it doesn't make sense. Like the lighting is not organic or realistic, but it at least makes scenes like, Ooh, this scene is red. Ooh, this scene is blue. Like scenes feel different. They feel colorful. Yeah, no, Um, there's definitely like, he knows how to make his movies feel dynamic. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, like if you ask me like, what is the color of the fate of the furious? I'd be like gray. Yeah, it all feels the same and it's too damn long whereas like this movie like he knows that it's going to be long he knows there's going to be a lot of action so in order to make the scenes feel distinct he gives each a little bit of a sheen a little bit of a a, an aesthetic twist and and i appreciate that i like that aspect of it yeah um but in terms of the that wall street journal article that came out where if you haven't read it um reportedly there are like genuine negotiations between the fast and furious cast members over who gets to throw how many punches and who takes so many punches. Um, and it's interesting in the wake of once upon a time in Hollywood, because there's literally a sequence at the beginning of that film where, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton is being told that, you know, you're guesting on a lot of Westerns now and you're always playing the bad guy. That means the audience is going to associate you with being the bad guy and you're not going to get as many good parts. So on one level, I understand like maybe there's something to be said for, um, you know, subconsciously you're telling audiences that, uh, Jason Statham is not a strong or um, capable man because he's always getting beat up. And so there's a negotiation there over, okay, like you're going to hit Jason in the face. So Jason's going to hit you in the leg twice. So that's going to equal out or whatever. They reportedly even came up with like some kind of number system that Vin Diesel tried to do that didn't work out. Um, and like, uh, like no one, as far as I can tell, no one's officially commented on it. And a screenwriter uh, took to Twitter to say that uh, he wrote something for Dwayne Johnson, his producing partner, and said Dwayne Johnson was more than happy to be vulnerable um, and whatever. Um, so, you know, who knows, maybe varying degrees of, of that. But it's very, like, in the third act of this movie, you have a climactic fight where it feels very calculated in terms of how many punches are being thrown, who's on the ground and who gets to like defeat the bad guy but then also like it the, the film very equally gives endings to Hobbs and Shaw and it feels like it just continues to end over and over and over again cuz it gives like if if this movie was about Luke Hobbs you know the climactic fight would be over and then you'd have maybe three more scenes in the movie um that were varying degrees of a denouement or a conclusion in this movie, you get three for each character. So it just continues to go on and on. And th- like I appreciated the the um, the attempt to kind of humanize these characters, to give Shaw kind of a family aspect that actually has to do with family as opposed to the Fast and Furious franchise, which is found family, but it all comes off overly sentimental uh, with Coronas and the like. Um, family in a Fast and Furious movie is we're going to have a cookout at the end. Yes. That's the end. That's what family means in a Fast and Furious movie. It doesn't mean I care about your interests. It doesn't mean I'm there for you when times are tough. It means we're going to ride or die, whatever that means. We're going to be in the fast cars <laughs> and then we're going to do some stunts and then we're going to do a thing. And Tyrese Gibson is going to make some witty comments. And then at the end, we're going to have a cookout. And that's what family means in a Fast and Furious movie. It also means Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel will film a scene together where they are not on set together because they can't stand each other. So they're going to film each each other's coverage on opposite days. Hashtag family. <laughs> We're 
they had to CGI in Dwayne Johnson in that final scene uh, from Fate of the Furious. Um, but I also, I appreciated like the Samoa stuff. Uh, like that was kind of a nice touch and I liked kind of that, that family aspect of it. So it felt like the film was trying to dig into that a little bit, uh, which I appreciated, but uh, going back to my, my earlier point, like the, it just feels too, the film feels too calculated and each character feels superhuman. Like then neither of them get hurt. Neither of them are ever in serious peril. Whereas you think about uh, like kind of memorable action heroes, like John McClane is uh, an underdog from the word go. And he's one of the most iconic action heroes in history. Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt is always getting his ass kicked, always on the ground. But it's the fact that he gets back up that makes him special and keeps going. Um, Captain America. His whole thing <laughs> yes. is, I could do this all day from getting the shit beat out of him. Like, yeah. you know, they're the that's the thing. These are superhero movies, but no one wants to make them vulnerable. And, you know, it's funny for all the shade that gets thrown at like, well, Superman doesn't get, you know, Superman has no weaknesses. So you can't make a good Superman movie. Um, unless he's, you know, unless he has, you know, foliables, that doesn't seem to nope. No one raises that issue when it's like Dwayne Johnson and, uh, you know, technically they're not superheroes, but the film does everything in its power to make them invulnerable. Yeah. There's one scene where they're in genuine peril, but it's played mostly for laughs. Yes. Like it's, it's joke on joke on joke. And I think that's a miscalculation there. I think if you make that scene a little dire, if you make that scene a little scarier, um, that kind of could have gone a long way. And that empty machismo just, it wears thin after a while. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. And that's even the banter carries that forward because the whole banter isn't about tearing them down. It's, it's just all the banter between Hobbs and Shaw is a pissing contest. Yeah. You know, I'm going to call, Oh, I'm going to say Hobbs is too big. Oh, I'm going to say the Shaw overthinks everything. Uh, yeah, there's literally a, we are. there's literally uh, like back and forth on an airplane where Hobbes argument is, oh, yeah, I can have sex real good. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, OK, <laughs> it's the like you said, the machismo is just kind of out of control. And like the again, like a little goes a long way. And I think it's maybe a little bit of be careful what you wish for. Although I think there is still a, a I think there's a better version of this film to be made. Um I just don't think – and I haven't seen like Tango and Cash or, or movies like that in a long time or Lethal Weapon. But I don't feel like every single scene was the characters at each other's throats. So or Tango, like Tango and Cash, scene. it's not that they're at each other's throat, but that movie is a lot of banter. Okay. Um, Lethal Weapon is not a lot. Lethal Weapon, the first Lethal Weapon – is really more of a drama. It's a drama. drama. Like, I mean, yeah, it's an action. I mean, people remember as an action film, uh, Mel Gibson's character is deeply suicidal in that film. Um, it is so dark. Uh, I love it, but it's really dark. Um, but yeah, like I just, you know, a scene that I was reminded of that sort of Hobbs and Shaw imitates with a, a cameo character, but it is sort of, again, that banter. Um, it reminded me of the first scene in Infinity War between Thor and Star-Lord, where Star-Lord clearly feels intimidated by Thor. And so he tries to start lowering his voice. But that worked. Like, it is, again, machismo, but they're not... Like, Thor doesn't even play into it, and it makes it a a more fun scene as one character... Like, basically, Hobbs and Shaw are, in a way, too similar. And the film really works to try to tell you how different they are. But from a personality standpoint, they're pretty similar. And that makes it less interesting. I, you know, at the end of the film, I can't tell you how significantly different that, you know, Hobbes is than Shaw, other than Hobbes is more of the direct approach, whereas Shaw think takes a more calculated approach. But I'm like, that's how they approach situations. I don't really as person in terms of their personality, they're kind of the same guy. Yeah, it feels like more thought went into like differentiating their fighting styles and how they like would go about beating some or like mm-hmm. taking someone down as right. opposed to like what is this character like and what is and like they're like Hobbs is the star of this movie. Like make no mistake, Dwayne Johnson is the star, he's the producer, his producing partner Hiram Garcia is the producer. They have been working on a Hobbs spinoff since Fast Five. So like there's you get a little bit more in depth with his character. There are steps made to try and like make Shaw an, an actual character. Um, can, can we take a time out? What happened to Shaw's brother? 
<laughs> I genuinely do not remember. I genuinely don't know. Yeah. He's kind of treated like he doesn't exist, but then at one point he's kind of mentioned, but then... Anyway, he was the villain in Furious 6, by the way, for those who don't know. Um, I just... I just enjoy the flashbacks that show uh, Vanessa Kirby and Jason Statham playing together when they were children and they're like, you know, two or three years apart. And when in actuality, the actors are like 15 years apart, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that was, that was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah. like, ah, Jason Statham, so young, clearly, yeah. clearly a man in his 30s, early 30s. do, fellow kids? <laughs> he reminds me, he's like Creed. He's like, I'm 30. Yeah. Well, in, <laughs> well, in November, I'll be 30. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, Creed. What did so? How did you feel about Vanessa? Um, I almost said Vanessa Carlton. Um, Vanessa Kirby's character. I thought she was outstanding. I, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. The characters I liked the most were Brixton and Vanessa Kirby's character, Idris uh-huh. Elba. And I thought those supporting characters because they had room to go in unexpected directions, whereas Hobbs and Shaw are kind of hemmed in by their own machismo and there's the clearly the actors are so image conscious whereas everyone else gets to sort of just play characters and like chew on the role and like have some fun and like they have more room to maneuver than the leads of the film and i i was i was far more captivated by everything vanessa kirby was doing um than really i mean hobbs and shaw are fine but i just thought vanessa kirby was a far more interesting uh character yeah it feels a little like cheating because they very clearly cast her after they saw Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, so you bring in a little bit of the Mission Impossible Fallout with you when you come in to see it. Um, at least I did. Uh, I, I thought that was it was a, it was an okay cheat because she's not a huge part of Fallout. Sure. So and also like she's you know she had that popularity coming off uh, the 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 Crown. Yeah. So. Um, but I thought she was did a great job. Yeah. Uh, she she's fantastic. I I want to see her her in a lot more things, but I thought that her banter with um uh Hob Shaw I don't I don't know they're the same they're the same damn character. Um, her banter with Shaw I thought um was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, they it was it was a fun character. Yeah, and um, it worked really well. Whereas Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, like every scene just felt like kind of the same deal. Yeah, and like, oh, this movie feels at least a half hour too long. I have no idea why this movie is yeah. two hours and 15 minutes. Could it not, could yeah. not tell you. Yeah, there's no, they need to, they needed to lose the set piece. Um, I did read that. Like, apparently the third act was supposed to take place in, um, Ukraine, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but they switched it to Samoa, but they ran into a lot of problems because they had to keep shooting in London for a certain period of time in order to qualify for the tax breaks. So they had to like rework, okay, like which scenes from Samoa can we actually shoot in London and kind of do a workaround. So I thought it was kind of interesting how they just kind of like rejiggered the the structure of the movie. But can you imagine this movie ending in like the grayscale Ukraine? It'd be a weird, it'd be a super weird conclusion. I'll say that. Um, That being said, Samoa also feels weirdly tacked on. Um, it feels sort of like Dwayne Johnson's like, and now for my family. And I'm like, has your family really like, it's briefly mentioned at the beginning of the film. And then it doesn't, doesn't really get mentioned. (laughs) And then it's like, no, no, no. I mean, my, my brother, my brother, Jonah is very important to me. I'm like, who? (laughs) Like, that's the thing. Like, it's so clumsy. Like there's a movie where like, actually I do want to learn more about Hobbs's family, but it's not this one because it's so clumsily inserted. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like a better track may have been to to hone in on that father daughter relationship a little bit more. Yeah, because that that was a a really fun aspect of the film. Although once you put kids in peril, I guess you start to kind of move further away from that all ages. Yeah, appeal. it's well, and it, and also kids, you know, can, they, from a screenwriting perspective, they don't have a lot of room to maneuver unless you're unless like, you're Shane unless you're Shane Black, <laughs> in which case. <laughs> yeah a kid can blow up a house and like on accident. <laughs> and that's just a little predator, little, little predator. Jacob Tremblay kills so many people in the predator. Whoops. <laughs> Oops. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about fast and furious as a franchise, which is, I have to say fast and furious is one of the most interesting franchises, even though I'm not a huge fan of it. It's trajectory is so fascinating to me because it started out as so different than what it is now. Like the original Fast and Furious is like kind of a very low stakes crime thriller uh, where they have about characters who steal DVD players. 
Um, and now they do international espionage. It's And basically, it makes sense why it had to evolve that way, because it was consistently popular. But then, like you said, the worldwide audience really showed up for Fast Five, and Universal definitely wanted it, because Universal has no superheroes. But yes, they do with fa- with the fra- with the Fast and Furious franchise. Like these characters are basically superheroes at this point. Um, but it's just it's a it's a franchise that I just I don't really find any of the characters super compelling or super interesting. It's it it's just so much testosterone. Even the women, yeah. so much testosterone. Everyone. It's a film where everyone wants to be a badass. Everyone is arguing to be the most badass, and it just makes it really redundant and interesting and uninteresting. Like I can't tell you who the different characters are or why they would differ or why they would fight because they're all just like ride or die family. (laughs) I'm the biggest bad. I'm the best driver. No, I'm the best driver. I'm the best ass kicker. I'm the best ass kicker. I'm going to have this fight. I'm going to have this fight, you know? And it's just like, they're, they're all kind of the same person. And I just don't, I can't tell you, the like, can you tell me like a, the only difference I could tell you between Tyrese Gibson's character and Ludacris's character is Tyrese Gibson's character is kind of like a wannabe ladies man who never gets the ladies, which no, you're Tyrese Gibson. Um, you, you, yeah. You're a handsome man and have been your entire life. Um, and then like Ludacris is the computer guy. But like, that's, that's yeah. all I could tell you about their characters. Like that's, and, and I've seen, and again, Fast and Furious, like if you don't count Hobbs and Shaw, there have been eight of these movies. How do I? How is that all we've added up to by this point? How do I still know nothing about? How do I still know nothing. I've spent, I've spent twenty hours. It feels like twenty <laughs> hours, at least sixteen hours, watching these movies. I could not tell you about these characters. Well, and I just feel like it's one of those things where it's just kind of like Transformers, where I just have to step back and say it's just not for me. Like mm-hmm. the the. The pissing contest, the testosterone, the cars. I don't know a damn thing about cars. I do not care about street racing. Um, although you don't necessarily have to care about something in order for the – like. so there's two separate things going on here. One is that like this – in like on the surface, this is not really my kind of deal. This is not the kind of movie that I'm usually into, um, You know, not the kind of like characters or whatever that I'm into. But then on top of that, I think there's just not any effort made on the part of the filmmakers to kind of deepen those characters because there are a lot of movies that I love that are about – like I love the movie Rush. I have no idea what goes on in Formula One racing. Which I think it's Formula One racing. It is for, I can't even yeah, it's Formula yeah. One. Uh, but I find that movie super interesting and compelling because it digs really deep into those characters and you get to know who they are. And I think the performances are really great. I think it's a really underrated film. Um, so like they like and that that's a film that that's trying to do a little bit more. Whereas I think this franchise is just trying to kind of have fun and really leans into uh, probably on the part of producer Neil Moritz, uh, lean into that masculine crowd and that uh you know hyper masculinity um hyper testosterone fueled whatever um i mean even looking at the poster artwork of these movies it looks like posters that would be up on like a 12 year old's bedroom which there's that's not a bad thing but like that's just kind of the aesthetic that it is just chosen to be yeah uh, and I, uh, I and i don't think the masculinity in these movies is necessarily toxic although Lord knows there's a lot of masculine gaze stuff happening. Like for some reason, it's like, we can't have a race without a close-up of a woman's ass. That just, <laughs> what? that's not America. That's not the country I fought for. Um, but I would also well, it, say it, it, it's, it's a shallow masculinity. Well, and, and I was going to say earlier, the first, the Fast and the Furious feels very much like a, a slight ripoff of Bad Boys. Just in terms of the aesthetic and like you're telling this crime thriller story that is kind of testosterone fueled. You have some humor in there, um, but it's about kind of the blurred lines between the law and criminals and stuff like that. But in like a fun way, you know, like for the kids. Um, So I think that kind of goes throughout. I think I think you're right that it's not necessarily a toxic masculinity that's throughout, but there is a little bit of a Michael Bay thing going on, yeah. at least in those first few movies. Well, it's also it's shallow. And I think also the characters are kind of careless in a way that movie characters can afford to be careless. So like they're characters that like like in Fast Five, which, again, is the most 
Like, that's the most popular of the franchise so far, I think it's fair to say. It's the um, best one, so it better be. Sure. But it's also a film where they drag a safe through the seat streets and don't give yes. a shit if anyone gets hurt. Well, like, and that's the thing. Like, that's the movie where these – so I saw that movie in the theater. I remember distinctly, like, something clicking in my brain, and I went, it's a cartoon. It's Looney Tunes. And mm-hmm. then I had so much more fun with it. Right, exactly. If you accept it as Looney Tunes, that's fine. But – then don't turn around and be like, but actually it's about family. <laughs> well, and that's that's why I can't get on board with any of the dialogue scenes. Yeah. I just, yeah. And, and so to me, like the Fast and Furious movies are like, please take us seriously, except when we're being a cartoon. And I just, I can never, I don't think it's ever really found a way to, to square that circle. Um, but it's, it's, I, you know, again, I don't hate these movies, although I certainly find some of them more watchable than others. Um, but I also just, the, the, the adoration for them kind of escapes me, especially when, you know, we're not lacking for good action movies. Like mission impossible exists. Like you can, you can, I, I can't imagine being like, yeah, why would you watch fallout when you have Hobbs and Shaw? Like (laughs) fallout is an amazing masterpiece of action. Like with characters you care about, like it's really incredible. And Hobbs and Shaw is just sort of there. And it's fine to be there, but also, you know, we like when someone sets the bar, try to meet the bar. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that, that was kind of my thing as well as like, you know, I understand that there's a huge audience for these movies. I understand that it's not really my thing, but also like mission possible fallout was on my top 10 last year, my top 10 list last year. I think it's incredible. And I feel like it gives you the like adrenaline boost that you get from these movies, but you also get some really great character stuff and you get characters that you care about characters that you feel are in danger, even though you know that they possibly, they cannot possibly be in danger. Right. Um, although Tom Cruise is always in danger. Sure. So, but yeah, there, there, I'm of two minds about it. Cause I understand like, you know, like if people want to go to these movies and have fun and eat their popcorn, like more power to them. Like I understand like movies are expensive and, uh, you know, real life is stressful. Real life can be terrible. If these movies bring you joy, that's great. Yeah, we're not trying to be. That's the thing. Like, you can listen to it. Like, why are they trying to take away my joy? We're not trying to do that. I'm just saying, you paid, you took time and money out of your life for this. Don't you deserve something a little stronger, a little yeah. better than what Hobbs and Shaw is? Now, if Hobbs and Shaw works for you, if Fast and Furious movies work for you, that's great. I'm not gonna. You no, know, no one's gonna take that away from you. What we're just saying these movies could also be better. They don't, you can have like, you can have sort of that crazy machismo, but also have char- different characters who behave in different ways. You know, you can make, you can have set pieces that don't feel so choppy and, you know, you can have levels. Like that's the other thing. Like these fast and furious movies, they don't really have levels. They're all, you know, everything's cracked, cranked up to 10. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Everything is at a 10 and it's just, and when everything's at a 10, it just kind of even, it kind of levels out. Although I will say I will gladly rewatch Hobbs and Shaw much more than any of the other Fast and Furious movies, probably. I I enjoyed it as an experience more than I enjoyed the others because mm-hmm. I feel like so much of the others are just a bit of a slog for me. Because that's it, when you get like Vin, the Vin Diesel stuff, especially, it just gets so self serious and like yeah. so into family and so into. And that's the thing, like those movies do try to give you like dramatic stakes and like man this is serious like letty is with the wrong crowd and we've got to get her out but these this franchise to me has never given me any reason to care about letty other than the fact that vin diesel's character cares about her and so i'm like okay i hope you get letty kind of yeah you all had a really nice wedding where you showed up in what appears to be a an an undershirt (laughs) (laughs) real quick tell me the plot of fate of the furious um, I remember it had something to do with a submarine. <laughs> Basically, like Vin Diesel, like he turns against the family because Charlie's Theron is like, you have to turn against your family. And it turned out that like Vin Diesel had a secret love child with, oh, yeah. with uh, the the lady from Fast Five who wasn't his real love, but she Chris was. Chris Hemsworth's wife. Oh, that's who that is? Elsa Pataki. So. Yep. 
That's yeah. Chris Hemsworth's wife. So he had an he had a he had a relationship with Chris Hemsworth's wife, and <laughs> they had a love child. And then like he like had to protect the love child because Charlize Theron had her captured, and so he had to turn against his family. But then they were like, "We're gonna." We're, I'm sure Dom has his reasons. And oh my god, I'm exhausted just talking <laughs> about it. And then Thor showed up with Meek, and things got really weird. <laughs> hey, Thor, this guy's being a dickhead. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I I had a nice enough time at Hobson Shaw. I will say the cameos really livened that movie up. I was and, the cameos were surprisingly strong. Yeah, and if those and I I really admired David Leach's um, restraint because I you could feel that those cameo scenes probably when they shot them went on very very long mm-hmm. with a lot of improv um, and a lot of stuff going on, and I felt like I I was glad that you feel like he really pared it down to like, all right, this is the absolute funniest part of it. And this is what you need. And it doesn't get overbearing. No. Um, yeah. He didn't, they didn't overstay their welcome. No. And I will gladly watch another movie. If that's the team going forward, mm-hmm. like those people join Hobbs and Shaw and bring back Vanessa. Oh Kirby. yeah. That, that, Oh man, man, Vin Diesel is so fucked. <laughs> he has nothing else. That's the fun, like he's trying to start other franchises, and I I hate to break it to people, but Bloodshot is not going to happen. Like I mean, the film exists, and we're all gonna laugh the first time we see Vin Diesel as Bloodshot. <laughs> but I'm not. I wouldn't if, if if you have a bet to make, I wouldn't put my money down on Bloodshot. Although box office wise, Hobbs and Shaw did not get off to as strong a start as the Fast and Furious movies. Um, and wait, it had wait, it didn't make as much money as even the first Fast and Furious, or oh, I'm sure it did better than the first Fast and Furious. But I'm talking like yeah, what these the films, how these films perform. Yeah, that's fair. But you know, I think I don't know. We'll see how Hobbs and Shaw performs over time. I mean, yeah, it didn't it didn't steal Vin Diesel's lunch money yet. But that being said, I don't know if Fast and Furious Nine is going to be as successful as like, I don't know if that's going to be a film that grosses a billion worldwide. Yeah. I was going to say like, so they hit a like crazy high point with furious seven with 1.5 billion. And then fate of the furious was 1.2 billion. Those are the only two to hit uh, over a billion. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause fast and Fury six was at like seven eighty eight million or something like that. So we'll be curious to see if it continues a downward trajectory and how far that downward trajectory is now that Dwayne, Jane, Dwayne Johnson is not in the movies anymore. Because they did use Dwayne Johnson heavily in the marketing for Fate of the Furious and for Furious 7, I think. Um, wait, he was in Furious 7, right? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. He was. And then, like, he spends most of the film in a hospital. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see that... Although I will say, I mean, I was surprised to find out Hobbs and Shaw cost $200 million. I think that this movie might have been a little better if they had just pared it down. Like, not John Wick level small, but go like $80 million, which I guess is impossible given the paychecks of everyone involved. Um, but in terms of scale, I think it would have been a better film if the, the fight scenes would have been a lot more honed. Um, yeah, again, it's it's a film that's quality over uh, quantity over quality. Yeah. And so, like, and I know that the cartoonish action is part of what makes Fast and Furious Fast and Furious, but maybe just, just like, Hobbs and Shaw already is leaning really heavily into comedy in a way that none of the other Fast and Furious movies had done before. So maybe just use that as, like, that's our thing that we're doing. So, yeah. I don't know. I would have enjoyed that, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I really don't have anything more to say about Fast and Furious. I really no. don't. It's not my favorite franchise. Uh, come back, come back when there's a new Mission Impossible film and we will, we will go on at length about <laughs> yes. Mission Impossible. Or go back and listen to our Fallout podcast from last year. Yeah. We had, yeah, that was a good conversation. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so let's move on to recently watched. What have you seen lately? Well, Matt, sometimes you make bad decisions. Okay. You know, it's a bad decision but you just do it anyway. And so I watched Holmes and Watson. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm <I> very thought, <laughs> curious. I thought, there's no way this movie is that bad, right? There's got to be like a couple of chuckles in here, huh? And there's not. That is there's surprising. One scene, one scene that I laughed in, and it's just because like, if people are vomiting on screen, I will I, laugh. I, me too. I'm the same way. I love a good vomit gag. 
if there's like a vomit or a poop gag, I know it's very stereotypical of men. Like I, that's I have gone on record with the pooping in the hat joke from a million ways <laughs> yeah. to die in the West. How funny I find that. So you yeah. have so that like that one scene, I was like, all right, yeah, that's pretty funny. But like it just like I don't know what I just don't understand. I don't understand how this happened. I don't un- like. It's clear that they thought, like, you know, wouldn't it be funny if Will Ferrell and John C. Riley were Holmes and Watson? They're like, yes, that would be funny. And they started doing the voices, and they're like, oh, that's funny. And then they forgot to come up with like a reason to make it, or like, it's like not jokes. weird. <laughs> yeah, it's not weird enough to be funny like Step Brothers, which is weird, and it's not like commercially, like narratively pleasing enough, like Talladega Nights to be an interesting, compelling story on its own. So you're left with this kind of like hodgepodge of scenes that like are kind of connected, but don't really make sense. And none of them are funny. Things happen, but they're not funny things that happen in them. It's just a bummer because these guys have made some of the best comedies of the 21st century. Yeah. I mean, to me, I would love someone to ask because it was Eaton Cohen who direct who wrote and directed yeah. it, right? I would love someone to sit down and be like, "Why is the movie? Why did this movie not work?" Because I feel like you could probably get a good answer out of Will Ferrell because he's done enough of these and he probably knows. I would lo- I would love to see him be like, "He's good friends with Bill Simmons. Like, just let Bill Simmons go after him. And be like, man, what happened?" Like, yeah. I want to hear that conversation. I do too. I want to because I'm like, I mean, it's one thing for me, like, you know, maybe Will Ferrell has a film that doesn't like, like a film like Semi Pro. Like, I get it. I get why Semi Pro doesn't work, but Semi Pro, like, has a plot. You know, it has like, but it's sort of like, oh, what if he was an, you know, Will Ferrell was an ABA basketball player? Like, we're going to make some sports jokes, but it doesn't really, it can't really sustain itself. But it is weird to be like, we're going to put Will Ferrell and John C. Riley together. We're going to have them play cartoonish versions of Holmes and Watson, and somehow that doesn't yield any comedy. That's surprising. And it's not like, and it's not like they're together all the time. Like, that relationship. Um, you know, is pretty, I, I wouldn't say sacred, but like, you know, Step Brothers and Talladega Nights, those are two really, really good movies and really solid movies. And I don't think they've been like two-hander. Like, I think this is only their third two-hander since mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was a big deal that they were getting back together. Yeah. And you just hand it off. And I get that Adam McKay was busy making Vice at the time, but it's still just a, a bummer. I You just got to think like there's a, there's a way it could have been better because when I heard Sony tried to offload it to Netflix and Netflix said, no, I was like, how bad is this? Cause Netflix has some real garbage. <laughs> they'll take, I mean, they'll take whatever, but like now having seen it, I was like, Oh yeah, that might hurt yeah, their brand. I, like, I wouldn't if pay enough, for that either. No. And if enough people watch it on Netflix and they're like, if this is what a Netflix version of a Will Ferrell, added, uh, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley movie is, I don't think I want to watch Netflix comedies anymore. Yeah. So, they had to consider it worse than an Adam Sandler comedy. They'd be yeah. like, here's Ridiculous 6. This is worse than Ridiculous 6. Well, and I think those Adam Sandler comedies, granted, I haven't seen any of the Netflix ones, but uh, I mean, based on my knowledge of what's in them and, and having seen the uh, and loved the Adam Sandler comedies from the 90s and the early 2000s, um, there's usually a pretty strong plot. Like, there's at least something to follow that's sure. like, oh, okay, I want to see how this turns out. Um, but in Holmes and Watson, it's just like, someone's going to kill the queen kind of maybe, but like, okay, (laughs) cool. So yeah, I was, uh, it was a bad decision. I regret making it. I knew it was going to be a bad decision, but I was like, how bad can this be? So Hmm. yeah, it's on Cinemax or HBO now. I can't remember which one, but, uh, that's how I saw it. So if you want to, if you dare give it a shot, go for it. Ah. Well, thank you for, for taking the bullet on that one. Yeah. Um, so I would, uh, I, I watched another, a film, uh, quite similar to Holmes and Watson, uh, recently called, uh, it was Federico Fellini's eight and a half. Really? Just very similar film. No, um, high art, high art. Uh, I, I watched that recently for a project we're working on, on Collider and you will see it, uh, in about a month or so. We're very excited. Um, but, uh, so I watched it for that project and I, you know, there are films that you like, I respect this. I respect what you're doing. I never want to see this again. And that for me is eight and a half. So eight and a half is 
kind of Federico Fellini. It was it came out in 1963. Him kind of working through a creative block. He play he the film is about a director who it feels a lot of pressure to make his next movie, but he also feels pressure by his personal life and his history. And so he's trying to sort through all these emotions of what kind of film he wants to make and does he have anything to say and will people accept it? And, you know, usually I kind of like those movies where, that, where like, characters wrestle with writer's block. Like, I like adaptation. Like, I like it when... I think it, you can have some really strong material when the story becomes about the story. That self-reflexive quality. Um, but there is a limit. And Eight and a Half crosses that limit for me. I am not saying it's an unimportant film. It, you know, for 1963, that was very ahead of its time to make that kind of reflexive kind of work of art. I think it has a lot to say about the creative process and like how much of yourself do you put into a movie? You know, what's going too far? What's your idealized version? You know, what, you know, if cinema is a lie and you're telling an autobiography and your, your film is autobiographical, you know, what does that mean? I think it raises a lot of interesting questions. It's gorgeously shot. Um, but at the end of the day, you're basically, if I came to you and said, hi, would you like to spend 140 minutes inside the mind of a horny middle-aged Italian director who's having some creative struggles? You would probably say hard pass. And that's the thing about eight and a half. It's just, it's not a film that I, like some people love it. They're like, it's joyous and it's weird. And it is, it has a very dreamlike quality to it. Uh, The whole film, like it starts with a dream. And then even when he quote unquote wakes up, it still feels very dreamlike. Um, You're inside his mind. It feels very surreal. Um, I see its advantages. I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it is also a film that I will not be (laughs) rewatching. I'm glad I watched it. I think it's interesting. I think it's essential. But I also have no desire to ever watch it again. Uh, that is my; Those are my feelings on eight and a half. Have you seen nine? I have seen nine, which I also think is bad. <laughs> okay. I also, there, there are, at the end of the day, there are characters who, who are struggling with real things. And I think struggling with the creative process is something. The thing with eight and a half and nine that I don't get that just, I'm not on board with is how fucking horny this middle-aged dude is. He's like, <laughs> like his mistress shows up and he's like, but I also love my wife and things with my mistress have run cold, but I'm also attracted to my actress and my actress is horny for me. And like, you know, let me tell you about this prostitute I danced with as a child and then got in trouble for dancing with this prostitute. Like I do, like stop telling me about all the women you want to fuck. Like <laughs> stop telling me about how horny you are. I don't I don't want to know. Don't care. Not the most interesting thing to me as a viewer. Um but it was for some people. And that is Matt's hot take. That's that's my that's my hot take comments. on yeah. Um so yeah, that that's my uh, my hot take. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Remember, subscribe to Collider Weekly on iTunes and leave us a review of the podcast along with your hottest movie-related take. We will read it on air and engage with it. So thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back with you next time.